how do I introduce what I'm going to do tonight? I'm, I'm not sure. I, I have two ideas in my mind, but I'll, I'll give you the food one. Okay? This is the food one. 1 John, the letter, is like, it's like when you get a meal. I remember when I, I, remember when I was uh, training and I was at college and they sent me up the valleys, Tonopandi way. And uh, I preached at a church and then went back to someone's house for dinner. And I'd not, I'd not come across this. We sat there and, and, and dinner's ready. And we went and sat down at the table. And the hostess, they were young. You know, they were, it's not like they were young. They were old. They were, they were young. So I, I couldn't explain it. It must be a cultural thing. They brought in this plate of food. And it was as high as it was wide. Okay? And they had, should plated up my dinner and, and, and should plated it up for someone who weighed four times as much as me and was just about to run a marathon the next day. It was huge. It was like, and then she put gravy on and it was like Mount Vesuvius. This gravy went over the top of this mound of potatoes and, and went down the side and I was, I was like, what am I going to do with this? Because after, I'll let you into a little secret about myself, mainly because you will rarely have to watch me eat. When I have a meal, I like everything to be separate. See, I don't know. When I was a kid, I think I had one of those bowls as a kid where you put the peas in one little, little part and you put the carrots in another little. You know, you know those little things like that? I think I had one of them because I still do it. And the idea of putting everything together on your fork and eating it, I don't like that. I, don't, I want to taste the carrots as carrots. And so here we go to John. And it's like one of those meals. But there's something in me that kind of wants to separate it out. And I'm going to do that and acknowledge that I'm going to pick choose things and not cover everything. So when you get home tonight, you'll say, he didn't do that and he didn't do that and he didn't do that on purpose. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to pick things out with my focus, the focus in my mind being... As we face uncertain futures, what will encourage me? What will strengthen me? What will help me? So I'm going to look at this passage, 1 John chapter 4, from verse 7 to 21. And in my mind is, as I face an uncertain future, as I face all kinds of difficulties, which would make me anxious and concerned, because that's our theme, isn't it? over these Sunday nights. How, how, how can we be confident and bold? Great change and uncertainty. And as I look at John, 1 John uh, chapter 4, I want to pick out those things that will encourage us as we look forward to a very uncertain future, personally and as a nation. Uh, and and historically, you know, previously we've looked at the encouragement that, that God is looking for someone to bless. How can I face an uncertain future? You know, God is looking for someone to bless. And if you're prepared to put yourself in his hands, he will bless you going forward. We looked at that. And then we looked at, how can I know that, that I'm safe in God's hands? Well, God is full of grace. God is full of truth. And God wants to be with us. This week, how can I face an uncertain future without fear? God loves me. 
That's it. Just want to deal with that one subject. God loves me. We thought about grace and we thought about God. Um, mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve. Grace is when God doesn't deserve. But there are lots of people who give us grace and you wonder why. What's the motivation behind it? Uh, when Muslims talk about Allah, they say, God, the merciful and gracious. Well, why is he merciful and gracious? Well, well, let me tell you, it's not because he's loving. They don't have a concept of God as God of love in Islam. It's about duty. But our God is a God of love. And that's what I want to, I want to think about, the love of God. Now, just to get a few things out of the way, make a few ground rules. In the Bible, there are, and, and, and crept into our society, are, are basically three concepts of love. Okay, the first concept of love uh, comes under the Greek word eros. And it means desire, and especially the desire of a man and a woman for each other. Eros, it's a gift from God to be used and enjoyed in its right place. I'm not talking about that. All right. so, so put that, that one aside. The second love is uh, what they call, what's often used in, in a series of uh, Greek words around filial, which, brotherly love. Uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Brotherly love. And that's love for people who are like you. Okay, so it's, it's like a kind of love that comes out of seeing someone like you or seeing something beautiful or seeing something admirable. And it's often used in the Bible interchangeably with our final word, agape. Uh, and it's, it, we love God. He's admirable. You know, it's, it's often used like that. And, and that's okay. That's legitimate. But I'm not using, I'm not thinking about that word. I'm thinking about the third word, which is agape. Agape is God's, it's found primarily in God, formally, and has its fountain in God. And this is love, which is self-giving, sacrificial. It's unique in the Bible. It's unique. This, this love that I'm going to talk about tonight is unique in the Bible. And that's what I want to think about. God is love. Not lust, not because we're anything special or attractive, God loves us because of who he is. His agape love. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm not going to mention the Greek again. Okay? We're just going to move forward. The source of love, first of all. The source of love. Where does this love come from? God is the source of love. Love comes from God. We read this in 1 John uh, chapter 4. Let's love one another, for love is from God. So God is the source of love. Uh, God, it, love is perfect, a perfect moral attribute of God. It comes under that category of God's moral attributes. God has a number of attributes, doesn't he? You know, God is eternal. That, that's, that's not a moral attribute. That's just the truth about him. But this is under the moral category. God is love. It comes under the category of God is grace, and God is compassionate, and God is kind, those moral. So God is love. Love comes from God. It's holy love. Yeah? Holy love. It's perfect love. 
It's consistent love. Yeah? God's love is holy. It's perfect. It's consistent. It's patient. It's pure. It's self-sacrificial. Amazing. God's love for us. Self-sacrificial love. His thought is for us. For our benefit. For our gain. Amazing. It's not selfish. It's sacrificial. God's love is life-transforming love. And the source, the fountain of love is God himself. God is love. God doesn't put on love. God is love in himself. It is part of who he is. It is part of what he is. For all eternity, God is love. Now, love has to have a focus, doesn't it? You know? So how can God be love eternally? Well, we're told that God is three in one. God is three in one. And so for all eternity, the Father has loved the Son, and the Son has loved the Father. The Father and Son have loved the Spirit. The Spirit has loved the Father and Father and Son. God is love. He is a, we could say, a kind of community of love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when we think about love, God is love. There's a brilliant book. It came out a few years ago by a man called Mike Reeves called The Good God. If you've not read it, I recommend it to you. And he goes through this in in wonderful detail. God is love in and of himself. God's love overflows. God's love overflows. It's not beautiful. God is not selfish in his love. God's love overflows to his creation. God overflow love between himself overflows to us. Jesus prays a remarkable prayer that's recorded by John in his gospel where he talks about his love for his father and his father him and then he talks about the Christians and he says that their love may be in them and they may love us. And he's he's drawing us in to the love that is between the father and son and holy spirit. And so God's love for us is overflowing love. What a remarkable love. God's love is not selfish or mean or limited or restricted. It's generous. All I can think of is what comes to my head, and I'll just say it. Do you remember that children's song, Over? I remember the actions. Running over. And running over. Since God saved us, happy as can be. And it's taken from a psalm, isn't it? About God's love overflowing. If we know anything of the love of God, it's God's love overflowing and capturing us, drenching us, including us. It's quite remarkable that we are allowed to be involved in that perfect eternal love. And we're allowed to have a part of that love. The source of God's love is God himself and it overflows. And this love is at its heart seeking good. It seeks good. Beloved, let us love one another as God loves us. 
Verse 7. And this is love. That we, not that we have loved God, but that God loves us. And we are meant to then love others. It's remarkable. So there's God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they are loving each other. And that love overflows to us. But it's not meant to be kept and hidden by us and coddled by us. But it's meant to overflow from us to others. That's the point of it. It's overflowing love. No one can say, says John as he concludes this little section, no one can say that they know the love of God and hate their brothers. Because that's not the nature of God's love. The nature of God's love is to expand the boundaries of those within that love. God is love. God is love. Behind every action of God, behind every desire, behind every act, is his love. It's his love. Is that a wonderful thing? You know, that, that God isn't showing us mercy out of duty, though he is very dutiful. He's not showing love, uh, uh, showing kindness to us out of just sheer pity, though he does pity us. It's love that drives him to care for us. God is love. God is love. So we are to love one another. So that's the, the source of God's love. Now, secondly, the sign of God's love. How do I know that God loves? How do I know that's his character? How do I know that what he says is true? When God says, I am love, how do I know it's true? What's the evidence? What's the sign? Well, we're told here, verse 9, God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. How do we know God is loving? Because he has done something to evidence it. He has acted in evidence of it. There are lots of people and they, they say, I love you. Well, that's nice, isn't it? But when they say, I love you, you really want a sign, don't you? Yeah, a loving act, yeah? Anyone can say, I love you. But anyone can come out of your head and out of your mouth. It's easy to say, isn't it? It's only three words, I love you. That's it. Well, anyone can say that. But when someone says that, what you're then looking for is the signs. The signs of love. Do you care for me? Do you watch over me? Do you want to protect me? Do you, do you want to help me? Do you want to spend time with me? Are you prepared to encourage me? And if it's God-like love, are you prepared to sacrifice for me? Well, here's God. God showed his love. It's real. It's witnessable. And people witnessed it. Where do we see the love of God at work? Well, you're breathing. God loves you. You're living on a planet. And the sun ch shines sometimes. Not enough. And the rain falls. And next week you're going to have harvest, aren't you? God loves you. God is doing you good. God is watching over you and caring for you. We see around creation the love of God. And, and, and it's, it's generous because there's such a variety that God provides for us. 
It's a sign of God's love for It's very real. It's very, very obvious. How else do I know? Well, God says this. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. How do I know that God loves me? I know God loves me because he has dealt with my greatest need. My greatest need. He has dealt with my sin. He has dealt with my rebellion. He has dealt with everything that causes him an offense so that he would not have me near him. He has dealt with it all. How do I know that God loves me? He has dealt with my deepest is love. Not that we loved him. It's not because we went crying to him. It starts with God himself. And he acts. He acts for our greatest good. Dealing with our greatest need. If God says, I love you. And I want to make your life happy. And I'm going to do lots of lovely things for you. I'm going to make you rich. That'd be nice. Well, there's many ways to be rich, isn't there? Rich in knowledge, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? And rich in money, that would be lovely. And, uh, and, and rich in friends, that would be lovely. But if you stop there, I'm still facing judgment, aren't I? So he starts at our greatest need. He starts with our greatest need. How do I know him? And how do I know he loves me? He deals with my greatest need at great cost. So it's not just he says, I love you. It's not just that he says, I'm going to deal with your sin. He says, I love you. I'm going to deal with your greatest need, which is sin. And I'm going to do it at the cost of my son. He sent his son into this world. And this is, we have seen, says John. Well, of course he did. He walked with Jesus and he talked to Jesus and he leaned on Jesus. And he went and saw Jesus Christ being tried. And he saw Jesus Christ being humiliated. He saw everything about Jesus. He he saw Jesus living and loving. He saw Jesus weeping. He saw Jesus despised and rejected. He saw Jesus beaten and mocked. He saw Jesus crucified. He saw Jesus in agony. We're told he's near the cross because Jesus says to John, the writer of this letter, look after my mum. He says that from the cross. We know he's there. We know he's there as Jesus dies. That's the cost. And he knows it. And as Jesus gave up his life, having borne the penalty of sin in his body, On that cross, physical, spiritual, anguish and agony. And as he dies, John says, I see love. I see love. Great love. Self-sacrificial love. 
Isn't it marvelous? The love of God for us. It's generous and broad and wide and perfect. But it's self-sacrificial. Jesus Christ willingly came into this world to live and to die for us at great cost. He says on that tree, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He went through the bitter shame and anguish of hell on that tree for you and me. He faced the perfect eternal wrath of God on that tree for you and me. It was at great price. That is love. That is love. There is plenty of evidence then, isn't there, that God loves us. God loves us. My third point is the seal of love. The seal. But how do I know he loves me? Okay. I can understand that God loves, yes. And I can understand that his love is, is to deal with, is, deals with us sin, yes. And at great sacrificial cost, yes. But how do I know it's me? How do I know it's for me? And, and it's my sin. Well, John puts it like this. How can I receive the fullness of God's love and how do I know I have it? John puts it like this. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. And so we have come to believe and know the love of God that is for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God. How do we know then? How do we know we're Christians? Well, first of all, God's love flows to us. God's love flows to us. Paul puts it like this. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. How do I know that God loves me? Well, I believe him. I trust him. I seek to follow him. And he assures me that he loves me. He sends me his Holy Spirit. He gives us his spirit to assure us, to encourage us that we are the children of God. He gives us tests. Do we love Jesus Christ? You're a child of God. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? You're a child of God. So God's love flows to us. That's how we know we're Christians. God's love flows through us. So God loves us in such a way that we cannot help but love others. The mark of the world at this point in time is selfishness. Deep selfishness. And not surprising because they're short of resources and they face very uncertain futures. And they have to think about themselves. All they have is themselves. And so the mark of this world is selfishness and narrowness. But the mark of a Christian is generosity. Generosity in time and resources and in affection. Because the love of God flows through us. It flows to us and then it flows through us. And so how do I know I'm a Christian? Do you love? Do you love? Do you have that desire in your heart to love others? Do you have that desire in your heart to see them done good? Do you have that desire in your heart to give, not just to receive? 
That's the sign of God's love at work in us. John makes it very clear. God's love flows to us and God's love flows through us. And if God's love is not flowing out of us, then we cannot claim in any way that God's love has flown into, f- flown into us. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Or flowed into us. That's terrible English, isn't it? But you know what I mean. So we ha- know this. What's the seal of God's love? God's love flows to us. God's love flows through us. And God's spirit dwells within us. God's spirit dwells within us. We're told this about the spirit. You abide in him. We know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. The evidence of God's saving love is found in the indwelling spirit of God. He gives us life. There was a day when I didn't think or care about God, but now I do. Why? The spirit of God is at work in us. There was a day when... The Bible was an interesting but dead book, and now it lives. Why? The Spirit of God is at work. Day when I didn't want to praise God, I had no desire to worship Him, to lift up my heart. Anyone else? And I just looked after myself. And now, for some strange reason, I start to care about other people. It's not in me. But I start to care about other people and more. I feel their pain. Why? Because God's love is in us and working through us. Because the Spirit is at work in us. His holy, compelling, empowering Spirit. And then we come to this one. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Now, this does not mean, let's be clear, that you've never to be scared. All right? If you're traveling down the motorway and find yourself at 70 miles an hour going sideways or backwards, you've got a good reason to fear because it's going to hurt. We're not talking about that. All right? And if you don't like going to the dentist, it's perfectly reasonable. Okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that terrible dread. I'm talking about that terrible dread of meeting God. I'm talking about that terrible dread of an unknown tomorrow. I'm talking about that. A Christian does not fear the future because God loves them. And God is seeking the best for them. And if that's you, that's you're a Christian. It doesn't mean your life will be easy. In fact, We're told in the Bible that those God loves, he chastens. And very often a sign of God's love is that he's chastening us and making our life very difficult because we've become lazy and sinful and he doesn't want us to be condemned with the world. And sometimes God's love is a very difficult thing to live with. Let's be honest about it. Sometimes his love for us is is almost more than we can bear because he wants to do us good. And often, he wants to do us more good than we want to do ourselves. But we do not fear. We do not fear tomorrow because God is with me. I do not fear tomorrow because his spirit is dwelling within me. I do not fear tomorrow because he has a great plan to glorify his name, to build his church, and to build up his people. I need not fear tomorrow because there is in store for me 
heavenly rewards. I remember reading, I think it was in one of the, I think it was in Open Doors, and it just strikes me. It's one of those, those, uh, those images that I just can't get out of my head. It was in, uh, in Colombia, and there was a minister in Colombia, a, a pastor of a church in the, in the jungles of Colombia, and uh, a lot of his congregation were getting dragged into the um, cocaine-making world. And he went to church, and of course he opened the Bible, and he applied, you shouldn't be involved in this. You know, if, if you're a Christian, you should have nothing to do with this. And uh, so they came to his house, and they threatened him. They threatened him that, 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 that uh, if he carried on preaching like this, they would, they would kill him, you know. And he carried on preaching. So they came one day, and they got him on the floor, and they had him kneeling. And they, they put a gun to his head, and he says, you can't threaten me with heaven. Perfect love casts out fear. He doesn't want to die. But what's the worst? That he'll be ushered into the throne room of God. How can I face tomorrow in all its uncertainties? And all of our tomorrows are uncertain, aren't they? In, 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 in various ways. And we live in a world that's panicking about the future. They're panicking about what's going to happen with the economy panicking about what's going to happen with nature, panicking about what's going to happen morally. We're, we're, everyone's in a terrible panic, but the Christian knows this. God loves me. And whatever happens, I will never be taken out of the orbit of his love. Whatever happens. And through the good days and the bad days, and there will be both, I will never be taken out of his love. I went to see my dad this week on a personal note. I went to see my dad this week. He's, he's 89. He's very, very unwell. He's coming towards the end of this earthly life. I have no fear for him. I have no fear because he's safe in the everlasting arms of God. That's what love does. He changes our lives and he changes our deaths. That's why we can face tomorrow. Uh, John, perfect love casts out fear. Do you know the love of God? That deep, beautiful, powerful, sweet, perfect, self-sacrificial love of God at work in your lives. Well then, we should be brave, shouldn't we? We should be generous and the world should know that we are his. We have been bought with a price, a costly price, and we're precious to him and he'll never let us go.